Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. You're listening to the Shitlux Podcast, your guide to a more stylish life. Welcome to the Shitlux Success Stories with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by the extraordinary Tessie Ojo, CBE. Tessie is the chief executive of the Diana Award, a charity set up in honor of Diana, the late Princess of Wales, that empowers young people to make a difference in their communities. She's also a trustee of Comic Relief and was appointed CBE, Commander of the Order of British Empire, in the 2020 Queen's Birthday Honours. I mean, she has a seriously stacked CV. So she's here today to tell us all about how she got to where she is today, share all the best career advice because it's been a real journey and to share her opinions on what needs to happen in this country to help young people thrive. Tessie, welcome. It's so lovely to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Where do we start? Can you start from the beginning? How <laughs> how did this all come about? What's your background? It's a big story. It's a really long one. But I, I suppose the easiest way to describe it is from a very, very, very early age, I learned about privilege and responsibility. You know, I'm a child of a diplomat and I had access to stuff that I often realized that people my age didn't have, you know, like having drivers and chauffeurs and, and cooks and just the house being so full of staff. Mm. Um, and from a very young age, I kind of realized that this isn't normal for everybody else. And I remember when I was about eight asking my dad, um, why couldn't I just hang out with my, why do I have to have like someone with me all the time? Why couldn't I just hang out with my friends? And he said, but that's because you're a child of a diplomat and it comes with all of that. And I, and I said to him, but I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. And then he kind of challenged me so what do you want to do about that and I think that really set me up to begin to think about how can I do something how can I how can I level the playing field in any in some sense how can I whilst I had all of this what do I do with it and how can I give back um and that thought stayed with me for a very long time didn't really act on I cannot remember acting on it till I was about 13 and I remember having going to every single after school club that I could go to because they were just there in my school and and I think I was in conversation with someone and I realized that actually not everyone went to an after school club and my mom was a head teacher in a different school and um, I remember once saying to my mom that, you know, I do a lot of dance. Could I possibly run a dance after school club in high school? And she said, sure. And 13 year old Tessie designed this poster that says, if you're poor, come to my after school club. <laughs> the intention um, was there. The intention was there. I think that even 13 year old <laughs> Tessie will be cancelled if she, <laughs> yes, <laughs> she yeah. did that today. 100. I, even I will cancel her. <laughs> there's, there's definitely better wording. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right intentions. Um, 
But that kind of began the journey because what what started as once a week suddenly turned into four days a week because the demand was there and it went from dance club to reading club to various types of um, clubs that happened after school. And I think that really set me up to to begin to think about to look beyond myself you know sometimes in life we could we could always focus on ourselves and and sometimes that's that's not a bad thing mm. if we as long as we but we have that right balance between understanding that life is always bigger than oneself and and just finding purpose in what you do irrespective of what sector you end up in so how did the career journey begin? What country was that in, by the way? What country so I, I, so, so I grew up for the first 14 years of my life was here. Mm-hmm. And then at some point we moved to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at a different point, we moved to, to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And, and then I came back at the age of 20. Mm-hmm. And the career path? The career path was really interesting because I think the first time we moved to Nigeria, I think I was about 15, um, I met my, I met, you know, I had a best friend and I discovered one day I went to her house and I discovered that her brother was really unwell. He was in pain. I had no idea what was going on. She then explained to me that it was sickle cell anemia. Prior to this, I'd never, ever in my entire life heard of this. I also realized from conversation with my friend that he had no cure. Um, and actually all, all you could do was of her pain relief which obviously was not working in that case um and it made me begin to think about i didn't have the right vocabulary for it but i realized that this is health inequity this was something that was affected either um black or brown people and there was just absolute i had lived in europe all of my life prior to then and i had never heard about it never ever there was very little research that was going into this yet people were people you if you had sickle cell anemia basically at the time you couldn't leave the more than maybe 25 it was such a life limiting thing that actually um and that made me decide that i wanted to do something about it doing a bit of research i realized that i had to study if you wanted to really shift the dial on that you needed to be a scientist and i thought great i'm going to study biochemistry and i did so i went to uni i studied biochemistry with the all the the what the purpose behind it all was to to fix a problem and i loved the academic rigor of being a biochemist and i and i had when i graduated came back here um had my first job i absolutely hated being a biochemist in practice because I, I, um, I realized that whatever I did, I needed to be with people. Being amongst people was vital to my own personal life. Um, but being a biochemist was I was kind of stuck in a lab. And this is no disrespect to every <laughs> biochemist out there. Thank you for the job that you do. Because without your work, we will have no vaccination. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it just wasn't something that I, I enjoyed. Mm. And, and I remember really feeling like this had been the the ambition that held me together for mm. about five, six years and and really not knowing what to do. Mm. And, I, and I had this conversation with my brother. He said, oh, Tess, just go and study an MBA. That would just open up so many opportunities for you. And I did. And I ended up in the tech world. Now, I, I took a tech job because I thought that tech would help. You know, tech was just very new at the time. And, tech, you know, if you are the cutting edge of technology, you would do 
lots of great things. And I thought, well, I can still help people. I can still find a pathway by being in this tech space. And I'm not too, I might not be curing sickle cell anemia, but I could still be on the cutting edge of discovering things that would ultimately help people. And that was a great path for me and was really successful. When I had my kids, both my kids, I, I, I think there was, there was a moment for me, we felt like a, an eureka moment where you almost, for me, it began, I began to define what success meant. I, I knew for sure that in physical terms, I was very successful. But I knew that the thing that always drove me was more than success. The thing that I'd, I'd always lived for a purpose, I'd always was fighting something. I was always, um, significance was more important than success for me. And I was further out from significance. I was significant financially in my pockets. Um, I also began to feel like I was kind of repeating the same circle that I I fought against my parents because here was I with two beautiful children who had everything they wanted. And one day they would say to me, but how did I earn this? And I just knew that I, I wanted more. I wanted more. And that more was nothing to do, like I said, wasn't to do with more money, bigger house, nothing like that. I wanted to be significant. And I knew that I had to come back to the driving force, which was always how do I make a difference to someone's life? And that set me on the path to look, to just take time off work, of my day job, and just look. Look and don't move until I find this thing. Um, and one day, just sitting in my house, one evening, I stumbled against, um, I was reading through the papers and I found this advert that said a new youth charity had been set up and this charity needed someone to help build the systems. Now, my job title at the time was systems analyst. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, a, a youth charity, um, I can go and help them build their systems. And maybe by by doing that piece of chunky work for a charity, that significance, I would have helped the charity set up right. And then I can maybe go back to my day job. That was kind of the plan. And obviously I never went back. <laughs> so presumably that charity was the Diana Award. Indeed. Where you were just telling me you've been for 23 years. Indeed. So what was, just a bit of background on the charity. When was it founded? Yeah. Why was it founded? Yeah. So so absolutely. So the, the Diana Award was set up in 1999. Mm. Um and it was set up as a charity, it's a legacy to, to Princess Diana. You know, when she died in 97, we, we, we experienced something as a country that we, or even as a world that we had never experienced before, where we broke every rules that we had as Steve Oppoli British people, um, because we, we had, we publicly mourned this person. Mm. And, and I think it's fair to say that what we mourned was was someone who showed us what humanity feels like. Someone who showed us that you can have a right balance between privilege and responsibility. Someone who made everyone feel visible and feel loved. And so what the government wanted to do at the time was, we, we I, I suppose in some way we hadn't experienced that level of humanity from people beholding high mm. offices. 
and it was how do we take those values and how do we instill it in generations to come how do we make sure we're not losing those values the values that i still believe those are still values that are vital for every society to thrive uh, and so the diane award so so the government at the time set up a memorial committee and um like the fountain was was created so was this charity set up it took a couple of years for the charity to be properly set up um and so that was really our instruction we we almost had a a plain piece of paper to curate a legacy fit for a princess who was so loved mm. um and an icon um really founded on her belief you know she believed that young people with the right support can change the world mm -hmm. and that was the only kind of parameters we were given and it was curate a legacy that's fit for her mm -hmm. and that really helps young people own their power mm -hmm. not everyone understands that they have power because of life life happens and how do we help every child um, irrespective of their background, irrespective of their history, how do we help them thrive? Mm -hmm. That's really the fundamental of what we do. And so it was really quite cool um, at the time. When I when I applied, oh well, technically I didn't actually apply because I wrote to the, when I saw the advert, I wrote to the, there was a PO box and I wrote to them and I sent them my CV and I said, hey, can I help you build your systems? I've got four months left of my extended maternity leave. Um, can I help you build your systems? And if I did that for you, I can like go back. You don't need to pay me anything. I just want to do this and go. And um, they wrote back to me and said, oh, sorry, we can't accept your free offer, but we would love for you to apply for this job. And I knew that that job was £30,000 less than what I earned at the time. Bear mm -hmm. in mind, I had just had my second baby. Mm -hmm. So there was just no way, however good, much good I wanted to do, mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared to, <laughs> take, the pay to take that huge mm. pay cut. This was in 2000. Um and, but my my husband and I decided that, oh, obviously this letter did not go to the right person because if he went to the right person, yeah. surely... No one would reject no that No one offer. would reject yeah. that kind of offer. So we, we agreed that why don't I apply for the job and just get in front of mm -hmm. the right people and then I can kind of... Reinstate, tell them what I really want. Um, and I did go in front of the right people and they said, Oh, yeah, yeah, we got your letter. Um, then they explained to me, which I didn't have any clue at, at the time, about restricted funding, which meant that if they accept my offer and they and I and I had and they had four months of not paying me when they did the accounts at the end of the year, it would look like they didn't need that money, mm. and the next year their money will be reduced got by it yes four months yes. so um which they couldn't afford to take that kind of, of risk so which made absolute mm. sense um we just had a lovely conversation and i left and i said look i'm there's no way i'm not you know anyway they rang me a few days later and said look we really want you to take this job and i was like no i, <laughs> I just cannot take this job mm. because like whatever um but that night i it felt like I needed to re-exit what, what, you know, the thing that had, I, I suppose, another moment that really shifted my, my um, gave me an insight into and shifted my opinion, really, because I almost began, I asked myself again, and what do you want? 
like you all you wanted significance you wanted to do something different you wanted to make a difference in the life of people you wanted to use all of your skills and it felt like you have been trained for this moment like scientifically scientifically i had the background i had the tech knowledge i had the business skills and this is a brand new charity that could do with all of those skills in one person and yet i was rejecting it because of money so almost were you then not been authentic to yourself when you said success wasn't the the issue mm. and I almost I, as soon as you almost have that moment of realization that said if I don't take it then I'm just I'm fake yeah it's not true it's not yeah. true everything I say mm. I'm just a talker and I'm not a doer mm-hmm. and I knew I had to so I rang them up the next morning like please do you <laughs> yeah and they said oh yeah we held the job for you because we kind of felt Aww. that you are the kind of person who will do this um, <laughs> and so I did love that so yeah. In real terms, practically, what what does the charity actually do? How do you help people? How do you give them that sense of empowerment? Great question. I hope you will ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, in real terms, what happens is so. Just one step back. Mm. Every five years, we we take a snapshot of what are the needs of young people in today's world. Mm-hmm. What because when you think about Diana's legacy, if you if you think about Diana back then, she was relevant to to the people that needed her the most mm-hmm. when there's certain things that she did in her time like um touching someone with hiv mm-hmm. it was always shining a spotlight on an issue that was happening mm-hmm. right now so we do the same we take a snapshot we speak to young people and find out what are the issues that young people are facing right now and how can we help and Sometimes every five years, the issues don't change, but we do that so that we're constantly remaining relevant. And our work broadly falls under three thematic areas. One is mental health. And the way we work, so whilst I'll talk about the themes in a minute, but the way we work is threefold. We, in, we have actual programs of delivery, so which means we work in schools, in youth clubs. We, are, we, have, we hire youth workers who work with young people every day in their schools. We also um, work with educators and parents and caregivers more to act as a prevention because whilst we're intervening in the problem, we're also making sure that we're preventing it from happening. The third way is we do a lot of advocacy, which means that we work with governments and people who to shift policy around these themes that we work in. So the three themes are mental health, mm-hmm. um, tackling social and economic barriers and youth leadership mm-hmm. and the mental health work you know we we work across schools making sure that young people have good mental health we we train teachers to provide good services we um we run a 24 7 helpline for young people to ring in, in terms of that when we work on an issue we look at the the cause the the solution but also the prevention so mm. the for example with bullying when you think think about the causes, you look at right from relationship breakdown to bullying in schools to trauma, any form of trauma. And so we look at so in, when we think about prevention, we're making sure that, um, for example, in schools, young people, we, we're tackling bullying in the school because if a young person has a breakdown relationship and it escalates into bullying, it could ultimately affect their mm-hmm. mental health. It takes them out of school. 
it affects their grades. And so you see the ripple effects. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we run an anti-bullying program. Uh, we run a, mentor, a, um, a mental health intervention program. Um, in terms of tackling social and economic barriers, we, it's very much focused on social mobility, making sure that your post school doesn't determine your future. Mm. Mm. Um, we place mentors in the lives of young people that happens in schools across the UK. Uh, we run work experience, uh, career events. Again, it's making sure that people have, you know, exposure mm -hmm. um, to, you'll be, you'll be surprised how many people think that they can never be X, Y, Z because they've never met someone who is X, Y, Z. Mm. And it's those life-limiting thoughts mm -hmm. that we're trying to lift the lead on, making sure that everything is accessible to young people. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing young people today? If you think, you know, those obviously kind of socioeconomic is a bit more self-explanatory, but you know, things like poor mental health, what, what in your opinion are the biggest challenges for I that? Would, I would definitely put mental health as a massive challenge mm. that young people face and it, because it cuts across everyone mm. anyone and the factors range from like i said breakdown in relationships mm. loneliness isolation um just general i mean we've just come out of a pandemic mm. we are we are seeing young people and adults as a whole dealing with ptsd where we don't even know how to define it mm. you are, we have a lot more young people who have social anxiety today mm. than they they've ever had which which means they barely go step outside. That is dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, you also have what we now know and can name is the impact of racial trauma mm -hmm. on, on young people. I don't know if you've seen recently, there was a video, I think only last this week, a video of um, a young a, a lady and her son, and I think about six year old boy, came out of a bus and was handcuffed by the police. And this, I mean, the, the Met police have just released a statement which said, I mean, she was so badly handled, but let's pack her. Her son was there. He was crying mm. at the trauma he was witnessing mm. of his mother being manhandled with handcuffs. It turns out the police thought she hadn't paid her bus fare, but she had. And also like bus fare. Bus it was one pound seventy bus fare. Yeah. Bus wow. fare. Because crazy. apparently she was asked about her bus if she had paid her bus fare and she didn't reply. Wow. And the traffic, whoever, the PCF, whoever they mm. were, then this is the police statement. The police statement said they don't normally intervene, but when they're called, they had to intervene and they hang you know. Mm. But what what really struck me, actually I think I did a tweet about it yesterday was Let's just pack this mother mm. and the experience. What do we think is happening to that child? Mm. That six-year-old child. Mm. What imagery? This lasted about more than 15 minutes because it was being filmed. The trauma he's going to live with for a very mm. long time. So when, you, when I think about mental health, it's a huge problem. Mm. And I don't think that... I, I genuinely think that we have a crisis. And I do not think that we've... We're just, it feels like a tide. It's only beginning mm. to rise. And there's so much more. I know that we're more open as a society talking about it. But I don't think that we fully grasp it mm. and we're not addressing it. And a lot of the time we think, or a lot of times, especially maybe adults, parents, we sometimes are so easy to blame social media. 
it's more than that because that's sort of when I asked the question what I thought you would say it's and I I don't so I don't subscribe to that because Mm. I think that young people in some sense are savvy enough Mm -hmm. to differentiate social media from real reality Mm. I suppose where it gets worse is when you layer a young person whose only view of life is via social media when they're stuck at home, when mm. they're not, when they have social anxiety. Mm. Now, the problem isn't the social media, it's because of the, it's the other layers mm. and they have nothing. Because you generally, in com- when you chat to your friends, you soon discover that that person is an influencer and that pretty picture has been whatever. Mm. You Most young people are savvy enough mm-hmm. to, there's so many apps, so many filters where you know that this thing has been, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think that bogs young people. It's where is the absence of physical connection, mm. the absence of a sense of belonging. Everyone wants to feel like they belong. It's when all of those are stripped away and all you have is this hologram of in, of social media mm. that you watch, then you can think mm. about that problem. But there's much more. I think that, sadly, our fa- families are so fragmented, relationships are so broken. Mm. There is a sense of loneliness, even when we are, when we are in busy, crowded spaces. Mm. There's still that sense of loneliness. I think that's really the bottom of everything. Mm. What are some success stories that you can tell us from the charity? You know, obviously, there's we we're all so exposed to kind of what's going wrong for society and for everyone at the moment, and it's so important to talk about. But kind of how how have you seen the charity really impact the lives in a, of children in a really positive way? That is such a great question because I'm t- I tell you, there is no way I would be here be as long as I've been in this charity if I didn't have hope Mm -hmm. and if I didn't see the practical evidence of everyday Mm -hmm. hope. I'll give you, you know, every year we work with about roughly about 10,000 young people. And, you know, the thing that I often say, the easiest way I explain our job, irrespective of the programmatic Mm -hmm. work, is that we we give hope. We work with young people to give them hope Mm -hmm. that their lived experience would not determine their future. Mm. And that that lived experience also giving them agency to actually turn it to a good thing, Mm. to make it, to help shape their society for the better. And it's such a privilege to see that happen. I'll give you an example. Last week, we we held an event at the Unicorn Theatre in London, actually. And we, in 2020, we obviously, we saw what happened across the world. Uh, the killing of George Floyd and how that really brought to the limelight the issue of race um, across the world. And one of the ways that we and young people said told us um, about actually how they experience racial trauma and and there isn't anywhere to go to even decompress. So an example would be if a young person was walking to school in the morning and he stopped by in the shop and he was followed through the shop, just have just getting into school and having someone to to speak to would help decompress so that they can kick off their first lesson in the same level mentally as mm. everybody else. But mm. if you don't decompress, then yes, then it just means you're, you're carrying this weight mm. around all the time. And so we created a program to, in, to tackle, to help create um, culturally competent mental health support in schools. Um, in 2021, we also saw in resp- uh, young people t- talk to us about sexual bullying, um, where 
they that was the first time I even heard the word upskirting. Mm. Actually, how young people said, look in schools this this was rampant unwanted comments unwanted touching and all of this we also responded what we did was in last year in 2020 having worked behind the scenes for two years we created a project under our anti-bullying work that was called the respect program project and it was really about training young people in schools to understand how to stand how to be anti-racist how to create um, a safe s- s- environment for everyone to thrive, how to also tackle, stand up to any form of sexual bullying. In the space of one year, we started this in September of 2020, uh, tw- sorry, 2022. And just last week, we wo- we, we had hit 3,000 young people across the UK yeah. had received this training. We invited some of the young people to um, to the theatre to, to just show us, demonstrate what how they are, using the training in their school i tell you i cried in rehearsal mm. i cried when i saw them because what we saw what i saw was young people from primary to secondary really owning their school and saying everyone's welcome here mm. how young people were changed even the the lunch menu like monday to friday decided to to strip it out and recreate a lunch uh, a lunch menu that was reflective of the school community. Mm. So um, Mondays was mash and pie or something <laughs> and, and Wednesdays was was uh, Ukraine Day and, oh. and Thursday was something, mm-hmm. Jamaican Day. And mm-hmm. it was completely reflective, really helping everyone feel like this is our school. Mm. And that ties back into that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to feel that they belong. I I, I was incredible. That moment, mm. just reflecting on watching these young people mm. talk about their project. Some of them did poems, they did poetry, they did rap. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely incredible or anime and under this mask is another mask (laughs) you can discover your new favorites right here on the anime effect listen every friday wherever you get your podcast and watch full video episodes on crunchyroll or on the crunchyroll youtube channel as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. 
Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. They talk, and I, I, I just felt proud. Mm. What made me feel proud was not just the 3,000 young people that had received the training, but the impact they were having on their school. Mm. Thinking about all of the young people that were preventing having mental health pr- challenges because they feel safe. Mm. They suddenly feel like, this is my space, this is my school. Um, and that just makes me proud. Uh, I see I see it every day. Mm. It's, it's, I have the best job in the world, <laughs> I, I, I promise you, because I go to work hopeful. Mm. When I have conversations like this, I know that something there's change. I can talk about change is happening. Mm. Change happens. Um, yeah. What are the bad bits of the job? Oh, <laughs> you know there is so much more we can do. So much more. Like if if you offered me ten million right now, mm. I would tell you that it's still never still enough. Yeah. So the bad the the worst bit is when. When you know there's stuff to be done, like for example, I'll give an example. When we, I talked about in 2020, when young people told us about what it felt like, actually the project was called Young and Black. They told us what it felt like to be young and black in the UK. I couldn't sleep. I, I knew this. I grew up here, mm. but I, I had hoped that that was not the experience of 14 years mm. in 21st century Britain. When I heard it, I, I couldn't sleep for days. I was traumatized by what mm. I heard. And all I could think of was who who can help us? Mm. I cannot, we might have a vision, but if people don't give to us that vision, we cannot make anything happen. And I remember we walk, we pitched into this, to this funder and towards the end of the pitch, they said to me, um, what would you do if we didn't fund you? And I, at this point, I was like, I was so hopeful before then. But I thought, oh, no, they're not going to fund us. And I said to them, how would you sleep if you didn't fund hmm. us? How would you how would you unhear? Because I felt like you couldn't unhear hmm. what I've just told you. I've just told you everything. How can you sleep? Hmm. And they did fund us. <laughs> that <laughs> so that, is persuasive. Well, but I but so the worst part of the job is when when there's work to do. Mm. Like you can see the mental health crisis, mm. and when you cannot do it just because you don't have the resources. What have been or what has been a highlight, a real career highlight for you? Whew, wow. Um, I think that so. Like I said, one of the things I, there there'll be loads. I, the best part is when I see the change. When I, you know, maybe a young person we've worked with so many years ago, and I get an email from them so many years later, they mm. tell me what they're doing. Or they said, "Oh, I, I, because of this, I, I decided to go into youth work. I decided to do this as my career. That's always fulfilling. Um, it's always one of the." things that we have to do like I said every five years you're constantly curating the legacy of someone who's loved by by everybody um but also someone who whose children I am accountable to um and curating a legacy that's relevant to today's young person Mm. young people yet 
remaining authentic to the person mm-hmm. um it's always tricky mm. and i'm always every five years when we look we look at our strategy i'm always like oh, i hope we're getting this right mm. and and and, and sorry like moving away i mean obviously we're only getting further away from a living version of diana so is that even harder to or is that where her sons come in and keep i think i think the thing that guides us is a bit of what guides us a lot is she i often think about her as a positive disruptor mm. i think about her as fearless mm. someone who wasn't afraid to go where the pain was even when it wasn't popular mm-hmm. that inspired by that mm. that gives me boldness mm. and 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 that always i can when i when i when we when i share the strategy with um with her sons i often say Remember this. This, <laughs> this is the context. Yeah, which is that's her trying to be exactly. like her. And um, but I think the biggest thing that I was really super proud of, I think one of the biggest things was I think it was in 2017. We had just we made a bold decision to prior to that, you know, her logo, our logo is basically what uh, a silhouette of her. And prior to that, the silhouette was very much in the form of a memorial. It was downward looking. But we made a decision in her, in the 20th anniversary of her death that actually this is never about looking back. It's about looking forward. And it was pretty much about young people and always being forward facing and, and championing young people and being out there. So it was never about a look back and so we made a decision to to alter that logo a little bit and make the face forward looking and 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 bring light to the brand and set it away move it away from a memorial but it's a living legacy mm. and so use those terminologies and and um and we had this big launch launching the logo i mean i'd worked with the palaces at the time mm. And I remember we coming into this event and I had the prince, the now Prince of Wales with me and and as he and the, we had the logo spread everywhere, everything. And he, he looked at it and he goes, You've done a great job, Tessie. And I was like, Oh my god, I'm <laughs> going to cry. I mean it's high praise from you know, from somebody so important, but equally 100. he's just someone's son at the end of the day, right? And you're honoring his mother. One hundred percent. Um I mean, speaking of, you were awarded a CBE. I was. <laughs> um <laughs> What was that like? Tell us about it. Oh, it was, I'm telling you, it was absolutely magical. It was such a, you know, the young people were very naughty. They, the young, it was completely led. The whole nomination was led by young people, okay. which they're just frauds, honestly. <laughs> like, I just, when I found out, especially the person who led, there were two of them mm. who I eventually found out, Fran and Callum, they were both the ringleaders of this and I still hold them responsible. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they listen to this. Um, um, it, it was just, it was magical. I, firstly, I thought I do not deserve this. There's no way. I'm not retiring yet. It's meant CBE is meant for people who are like, <laughs> you are, you know, you're like still young. Hang on. Yeah. You're like, I'm like, how can I, you know, so that was, I got mm-hmm. over that. Um, <laughs> and, but the whole experience was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that I had the Prince of Wales presented for, you know, it was made it even more special because mm-hmm. it wasn't someone who was, reading a citation of my work. He was someone who I had worked with mm. um, and we could just have conversations around the work. Mm. Um, 
yeah, it was just incredibly uh, incredible. I genuinely still look back and think like, how did this happen? And you know, it was really special. Cool. Yeah. What do you think makes you a good leader? Oh, you have to ask my team that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I hope that I center people in what I do. That I, that people remain at the heart of our work. Um, I hope that I'm a leader that listens. I'm a leader that's collaborative. Um, that it's not my way or the highway. Um, I hope that my people feel like they have agency to to um, to walk alongside me and tell me when I when they don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I say yes. I you know, but that we can we can have those healthy mm-hmm. conversations. I think that people have to be at the center of your leadership. Mm. If not, how can you be a leader if no one's following, right? I think leadership is about making sure that you have people following you. Mm. But also leadership for me has to be around my values, like integrity and being able to be trustworthy, um, do what I promised to do. And if I can't do it, I have to tell you why I didn't. Mm. And just being able to come back and communicate that. But I think it's been always myself, being authentic and bringing, I hate to use the word bringing your whole self because technically you can never, I don't, you don't often, you don't talk about it. You can never technically bring your entire whole self, Mm -hmm. but bring, but not being afraid Mm. to show your whole self Mm -hmm. at any time. Um, But sometimes you have to pack some of yourself because there's work to do, to be Mm -hmm. done but never been afraid to to show all of that side of you if mm. you have to. What do you think, aside from kind of the factors that we talked about before, like loneliness, what, what are the kind of other external factors that are making life for charities quite difficult at the moment? That's a really good question. I think I think that, you know, the, I, also, I often think that the world is very polarized. We live in a very polarized world and people kind of love to be in an echo chamber people also don't want to hear listen in and we're not leaning into each other Mm. which is really sad which means that if i don't agree with your opinion of something i those conversations have been shut down Mm. but how can we grow if we're not learning from each other it also means that people are just staying in their own people stay on their own lanes in that sense and that's a really sad thing mm. to do because where is the growth? Growth happens when we remain curious. Curiosity is key in mm. wanting to build community with e- with other people. If not, how are we growing? And I think there are a lot of charities or even across the world we're facing that challenge, the challenge of... Um, I was recently on the judging panel for the charity awards. There's a awards that's given out every year in the charity sector. And one of the um, campaigns that was nominated was uh, a campaign about Stop the Flights. This was about the whole Rwanda thing. And what was interesting about that campaign was the whole, the entire, refuge, the topic of refugees is so polarizing, which is shocking. Because mm. you don't understand, why should this be a polarizing conversation? Yet it remains so. Which means every time you even try and bring up a topic of refugees, people want to shut that conversation down. 
But actually, one of the th- the thing is, let's let's think about it. Let's just think about humans. If we strip away what could appear to be political, mm. unpick that and think about the humans. For example, right now we have people who are stranded in the Rhodes Island because of the fire. Mm-hmm. They're sleeping in classrooms. Suddenly they're being repatriated back home. Mm. That's an example of how quickly people mm. get displaced. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And suddenly we make this, there's nothing political, it's mm-hmm. just people's lives. Yeah. And that's such a challenge. When I bring up a topic that you might feel uncomfortable with, mm. you shut it down. Mm. But we just need to lean in. Mm. We, don't, we don't want to get political, do we? But I always think of that quote, um, that something, I'm paraphrasing, but that is something like, for people to get on a boat to flee their country, imagine how bad that country has to be. Um, and we, we embrace, or some people embrace it with such little compassion, don't they? 100%. Yeah. Abs- and you even get people, see the Arinali or forgot, or whoever the um, lifeboats, mm. every time they go out to sea to, to rescue, they get trolled mm. so badly. And you can you think, what, what, if, if that was your mm. family member who's mm. stranded on the boat, mm in the middle of the sea mm. would you want them to go and rescue or even if you were even if the rnli were your family member would you be turning around to your father or your mother and say you know what leave those people to die exactly you never would. Yeah. and it's just it's it's mind-blowing mm. the level of polarization mm. that that's happening now and how that's making everyone retreat mm. into their own echo chambers Mm. and just talking to the same people how are we going to grow Mm. if we do not understand the issues that face us as Mm. as humans yeah i so agree can you tell me about comic relief and your involvement there because that's that's a cool thing to be involved with right it is very cool i love yeah so i'm i'm really privileged to be a trustee of comic relief and i probably joined about five six years ago it's such a cool thing um one of the reasons I actually joined Comic was I wanted to have a broader, you know, a lot of my work from the Diana Award is pretty much, U- at the time was very UK focused, mm-hmm. but I wanted to have a better understanding of how do we tackle or better influence over how we tackle big issues across the world. And Comic, I love that through Comic, we are able to have an influence over big issues like poverty and how what does poverty look like in the uk Mm. compared to maybe in uganda in india in all of those other countries and how can we how can we support those countries to to make a shift obviously there's a fun part of of comic there's (laughs) a fun and then there's the Mm -hmm. fundraising um but all but it's 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 an exciting thing to to be part of Mm. um i don't do the creative aspect because obviously that's kind of not my own <laughs> skill there are lots of competent people who mm-hmm. do that but i love just being able to shape the strategy mm. um look at how we but also the last few years is how we share power how we make sure that we're not being saviors mm. you know that mm. that in the process of doing good work we're not damaging people um we're not teaching people how to fish we're actually mm. giving them the tools to do it themselves that's such a nuanced element of charity that i hadn't really thought about before 100%. but that must be so it's so important not to sort of colonize any type of person to and give them those tools right 100 percent, and you have to it's a fine line and you Mm. have this is also where you do it with people you don't do it 
by yourself mm. you work with and also what that looks like in south africa mm. is completely different from what that looks like in ukraine sure yeah of course yeah 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 that's so interesting how do you navigate that because surely that's also you know perhaps that's a more applicable problem with different countries but surely even within communities in the uk as well right you have to be careful not to kind of patronize and uh, is it just about working with community leaders it is working with the community mm. and listening in and also i suppose in some sense is yes you have your own guidelines you have your own framework you have your guidelines and your and your policies mm. and you use that as a framework mm. i'll give an example i am the trustee with safeguarding responsibilities at at comic mm -hmm. so it means that it's my responsibility to ensure that the principles of safeguarding are are kept wherever we fund mm -hmm. um but what does that mean what is what does safeguarding mean in the uk context and there's some countries where safeguarding is not even a word mm. how do you then teach the principles but allow them to apply mm. it how it works in their setting. That's so interesting because so many charities, there are a couple of big cases that come to mind have had real issues with that, right? Where they've gone One, into other countries. And, exactly. And it's just a miscommunication. 100%. So instead you teach the principles of, yeah. you teach the, the principle of safeguarding is that everybody is safe. Mm. No one is abused. No one is disrespected. The principles of dignity, mm. we, 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 we uphold dignity in every single piece of work we do. Mm. And when you teach those, when you tell people those principles and you begin to say to them, please help write your own strategy. How can we do this mm. in your setting? Mm. And then allow, then you might be able to query some things, um, but working with, the, it has to be led by the people because mm. they understand their setting. For example, you might say, I don't know, there might be a policy here that says, when there's a crime, report to the Met Police. But actually in a village in Uganda, it might be that the highest person is the local chief. Mm. So you cannot be saying, go and report to the police. Mm -hmm. You have to say, they have to be able to write it that actually Tasty. bring cases to the mm. high chief and things like that. Yeah. So, so it's yeah. So, so interesting. And you've just, I mean, literally this week, been awarded a PhD. Mm. I mean, awarded. One works for a PhD. So, <laughs> um, but congratulations. That's incredible. What is what is the PhD in? In uh, business administration. Wow. And so, from which university? From my alma mater, University of Greenwich. That's incredible. Um, it was so special. It was just great. It was, what was really cool was when I did my... Um, my, my children, you know, I'd been to both my, my children graduated 2020 and then 2021. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously I'd been to their grad and, but then they were at my grad. So that yeah. was really oh, special. Yeah, that's really sweet. Yeah, that's no, really I sweet. love it. Yeah. It so was... are you a doctor now? Yeah. I mean, look, you should have told us. How cool. I know, that's um, so cool. I'm still getting used to it. Um, Is it was it an honorary one? Or yes. Did you, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Which also was really special because then I had, to, then I was able to, I did a speech, I yeah. did a whole, um, what was it? I did a whole procession. Um, it was It was just so special. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. I said to the vice chancellor, actually, because then she had a, the next day they had a special dinner. Um, I said to the vice chancellor that when I had my investiture at um, Windsor Castle, mm. I because it was just in 2020, because of COVID rules, I could only bring one person. Usually you're allowed to bring at least three. Mm -hmm. It meant that my kids couldn't come. Mm -hmm. 
to the actual ceremony. Mm. They were they were around, sure. so we, they came back to the grounds. We took photos, but they didn't actually witness mm-hmm. that bit. So the invest for in some way the grad was. Mm was a beautiful it kind of felt like an investiture because yeah. my kids witnessed everything yeah. and were part of everything so and lovely. it was it was really beautiful really like it was yeah we're gonna draw to a close tessie i just want to ask you how people can get involved and how people can help and kind of specifically for the diana award but also kind of just you know if people are listening and they they want to be more charitable more involved with community how do they get involved and i want to know your answer for people you know you know working people people who might be listening to this podcast but also for younger people as well because those are two different things so so maybe perhaps starting with young people what's your advice to to young people who do want to get involved and be more charitable i believe that this generation of young people are more socially conscious Mm. than any previous generation and i think that young people understand social purpose Mm. and they buy with social conscience they think about the the impact of a lot so i would say to them you know, stay around people who have, who are socially minded. Be curious. Do not be closed in. You're too young to become this, that generation of people who, who think, oh, you can't t- teach an old dog a new trick. Mm. Um, stay relevant. Stay curious because you will find your, your tribe. You will find the thing that, one of the things we often say to young people is that if you were prime minister for the day, what would you change? Mm. And usually you would always find that area of your passion mm. through that and mm. just be con- find a tribe. Social media is great for that because mm-hmm. you can more or less find stuff that you're interested in and, and build community mm. with those people. Mm. I think that's yeah. such good advice. And for grown-ups, for people who might already have their career or, you know, might be a bit more established. but want I would say, the, do you know what? I The very first thing i would say is people like charities across this country are doing so much more the need is so great Mm. i would say if you could spare a penny you know sometimes you think what would my five pounds do i promise you five pounds a month Mm. is a great thing Mm. nothing's ever too small find something make space in your life give up a latte a week and that's probably your five pounds for the month and give like every i can say to you go and volunteer but but the truth is sometimes even working with volunteers this the charity needs the resource to even hire someone mm-hmm. to work with the volunteers, volunteers yeah. so <laughs> sometimes you get so many volunteers mm. yet you have no one to manage it and nothing happens mm-hmm. so i would always flip it around mm give and sometimes once you're connected to that charity volunteering opportunities arise Mm. they would let you know Mm. so if anyone i would say i give i make sure that every month i'm giving to a charity Mm. no matter how little but i i just give because by giving you're helping make change happen finally what you told us you told me at the very beginning about being eight years old and being conscious of you know, not having earned all the wonderful things you were blessed mm-hmm. with. What would what would you say now, with all the experience that you know now about charity, that charity is an industry, all the ways in which people can help to that eight-year-old girl? What would I say to the eight-year-old mm. girl? I am proud of that eight-year-old girl. I'm proud that she found significance because I often say that I... It's not enough to be successful. We have to do more. 
because sometimes success ends with you and your family but who who's benefiting from your success mm. i think we need to begin to think i like that eight-year-old girl who was thinking about what can i do i feel like we all should be thinking about what legacy am i leaving who's benefiting from my wealth mm. who's benefiting from my privilege because we're all privileged right and um one thing i also learned um is privilege is also being alive like when i'm not better than the person people who are not here and so for every day that i'm here i just want it to count Mm. and to find out more about the diana award where do people go uh website www.dianaaward.org.uk but just google us like we're all over just <laughs> google diana award yeah um okay so that's the website for the diana award and you also have another charity initiative i do so a couple of years ago i founded a charity oh well an initiative called tessis brunches and it's a platform for women it's about really building women to to support one another it's a little bit about that polarization that i talked about and i often find that as I grew as a female leader, there was almost nobody to hang on to, no one to look up, no one to na- help navigate. Um, in some sense, people did things in silos. And I just thought, why, why do we do that? Why can't we just build community and strengthen one another and pass on that knowledge? And so Tessis Brunches is my female empowerment platform. We, we have quarterly events. We have one coming up on the 14th of October. Can I come? Sounds Please come. Yeah, go. We have a, find us on our website. It's tessisbrunches.com or on Instagram, Tessis Brunches. Or just find me. You'll find it anyway. <laughs> just give <laughs> it a Google. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Tessie, thank you so much. It was such an honor to talk to you today. Thank you for thank having you. me. It's thank you for joy. listening. If you have any feedback at all, please do email podcast at shellux.com. We love hearing from you. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.